We're in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1158. Ephesians chapter 4. Hope you fathers are having a good Father's Day. I took my two little kids for their first backpacking trip up in New Hampshire this weekend. We had such a blast. Uh, it rained the whole time, but, you know, <laughs> they didn't care, so I didn't care. Ephesians chapter 4, page 1158. It says in verse 17, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray, huh? God, we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might come and touch our hearts to help us understand your truth. God, we love you, and we love you, Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise you, Holy Spirit, the triune God, because you've come to dwell in our hearts through Christ. And we pray now that as we study your word, that you might speak to us. God, we come from many different places this morning. Some of us are very discouraged. We need to be lifted up. God, I pray that your Spirit would do that this morning. Some of us, Lord, are too complacent. We need to be woken up. God, would you do that? Lord, some of us are looking for direction. We need some uh, pointer as to where to go. Lord, would you point the way forward for us? Some of us are looking for Christ, and we haven't found him yet. Christ, I pray, would you reveal yourself to each heart this morning? God, I pray that whatever condition we come to you in this morning, that you might meet us, minister to us through your word, and then strengthen us for this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's uh, one thing to visit a foreign country as a tourist and see the sights and taste the food. It's another thing altogether to live in a foreign country. That's a completely different kind of experience. 
Because to live in a foreign country, you have to, in a sense, uh, take off the culture that you were raised in and put on the new culture in order to live successfully there. I don't know if any of you have ever lived in a foreign country. Maybe you've gone from here overseas and lived for some time. Or maybe you grew up in America and then moved to New England. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> very much a different kind of experience. <clears throat> and when you come to a new culture, uh, you suddenly begin to realize that all the rules are different. You can't quite put your finger on exactly what it is, but there's just a sense that all of the rules are different. The social rules are different. The uh, um, economic rules are different. Just the way relationships and things work are so radically uh, different. E even if it's a, you thought it was a similar type of culture, from England to America, or, or America to Australia, you're still going to find it's different. And so to successfully make that leap to the new culture, you really have to unlearn the old culture and learn a new way of thinking and, and living. Uh, our assistant pastor, Seth Rogers, uh, lived in Kenya for 10 years, and actually two years in Uganda before that, and then 10 years in Kenya as a missionary. And when uh, Seth was living in Kenya, he was serving in a little village out in the, the, the backwaters called Meru, Kenya. And uh, he said that one time when he was in Meru, a missions team came over from the States to help them out with the missions work. And it was sort of a short-term missions team. And, and Seth had fun watching them get used to life in Meru. And he said there was this one point when one of the guys on the missions team was somewhere in some dusty lot in Meru, sitting in the dust, and he was holding up his credit card. And he was looking at it, and he said, this thing is completely worthless. <laughs> because there in Meru, it's probably better to have three goats than a credit card. You know, what a change of life. I can't imagine anything. I can't imagine life in America without a credit card, can you? I pay for everything with my credit card in America, my gas, I mean, everything. You go to Kenya and Meru, credit card's worthless. And you realize this is a different place. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Well, the same thing happens when you become a Christian. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you switch citizenships and your culture is different. Before I became a Christian, before I came to Jesus, I lived in a culture, it was called the world. And it had certain values and morals and ways of thinking. And I was immersed in that culture. And then Jesus Christ came into my life, saved me by His blood, transformed me, forgave me, and I became a different person, and I got a new visa. I'm now a citizen of heaven. It's funny, I'm, I'm a citizen of a place I've never been. But I'm going there. And there's a different culture in Christ. There's a different way of thinking, a different way of behaving and relating to other people that I have to learn. So that part of my Christian life is really unlearning the way I was raised in this world and learning a whole new mode of existence in Christ. That's what we're looking at in our text. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about that old life. You remember that? Look at chapter 4, verse 17 of Ephesians. It says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. We can't live that old life anymore. That's the negative. Don't do that. Well, now, this Sunday, we're going to look at the positive. What are we supposed to do then? Well, look at verse 20. It says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way, that old way. It, and I, I don't really like this translation in the New International Version. It, in Greek, it literally says, You, however, did not learn Christ. 
So it's this idea of, of kind of going to school and learning Christ. There's a school imagery here. I, I'm learning Christ. I'm learning a different way of existing. So that being a Christian then is unlearning the old patterns and learning a new life in Christ. Well, what then did we learn? What did Christ teach us? What's the content of our instruction? When you learn Jesus, what's the syllabus? Well, he tells us in verses 22 to 24. That's where I want to focus this morning. It says, you were taught, here's what you were taught, with regard to your former way of life, number one, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Number two, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. And number three, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we came to Christ, we learned, generally speaking, three things. Number one, put off the old self. Number two, be made new. And then number three, put on the new self. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So first of all, put off the old self, Paul says. The old self has to go. Actually, in Greek, it's not the old self, it's the old man, literally. The old person. The old person that I used to be has to go. And when Paul talks about the old person in the New Testament, what he means is not some aspect of me, not like I have some of the new person and some of the old person. The old person is the, the totality of human existence under the dominion of sin. The old person is what my life was like before Jesus and without Christ. It, it was the whole scope of my life before I ever knew Christ. That's the old person. And that old person has to go. Because that's life before Christ. What is this old person like? What was the old life like? Well, Paul tells us in verse 22, he, I note two things there about the old self. The first thing about the old self is that it was marked by deceitful desires. Do you see that? It says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. In other words, my life before Christ was marked by an impulse-driven mentality where it was all about me, and whatever I needed or wanted to fulfill me, that's what I went for. Whether I was looking for sexual gratification, or whether I was looking for attention from people, or whether I was looking for a new pair of clothes, or a car, or, or whether I was looking for power and control over situations. Whatever it is I wanted in the old self, I got it. And I fought, and I manipulated, and I did whatever I had to do to get the things that I wanted because it was about me. And so even in my relationships, I would manipulate relationships. I would manipulate situations just to try to get the things that were for me. Those were my deceitful desires. That's what marked the old life. But then notice the other thing about the old life in verse 4. We were being corrupted by the deceitful desires. So not only is it marked by sinful desires, it's marked by corruption. That's why the desires are, deceit That's why the desires are deceitful. Because you think they're going to make you happy, but instead they're corrupting you. So just as alcohol corrupts the liver, and just as smoking corrupts the lungs, and just as an STD corrupts the body, so uh, sin corrupts the soul and the whole of my existence. And I think it's great, I think I'm having fun, but what I don't realize is I'm rotting in front of God. The Bible says that before Christ we are spiritually dead. So, I don't know, I'm putting that together with this idea of corruption, and I'm imagining that before God, I'm like a spiritual corpse decomposing in the presence of God. 
I'm rotting. I mean, the stench of my sin is going up to heaven. And really, there's only one thing left for God to do with me. Bury me forever. You know, or maybe actually it's cremate, huh? Get rid of me because I'm dead and I'm rotting and I'm decomposing and I'm corrupting before God. And God needs to put me out of his presence forever. That's the old self. And so what does Paul say? Put it off. <laughs> Yuck. Get rid of that old self. Take it off. The idea of putting off is like taking off a robe or something. Get rid of it. Throw it down. Take off those tattered garments. We can't enter God's house with the smelly, muddy garments of sin. God's house is perfect. It's pure. It's holy. I can't go there dressed like the world. I've got to take that stuff off and throw it away. Put off the old garments. Now, this sort of raises an important theological question that I'm sure you're asking. And the theological question is, when Paul's talking about putting off the old self, is he talking about something that already happened when I became a Christian? Or is he talking about something that should continue to happen now that I am a Christian? That's an interesting question. Uh, Is Paul saying, is he reminding me that when I became a Christian, the old self was gone? Or is he commanding me as a Christian to keep walking in such a way that I put to death the old self? Which is it? Is he saying it's already happened or it's ongoing? And I think the answer is um, yes. Most definitely. Uh, It's sort of both and. On the one hand, when I became a Christian, when I came to Jesus Christ, my old self was gone. You know, it's gone, it's buried, it's dead. The old self has been crucified with Christ. And so I'm not living under the old self anymore. Again, the old self is the totality of human life underneath sin and separated from God. Well, that's not me anymore because I'm a Christian. It's gone. And yet, on the other hand, I still struggle against sin in my life. It's still tempting me. I'm still in this world. And so even though the old self is dead, Satan is still pecking away. He's waging a guerrilla war against me. Even though Christ has won the battle, he's still sort of at the outskirts, pecking away at me. And so I still have to fight against sin, even though I'm not underneath the dominion of sin anymore. Does that make sense? Look look at Romans chapter 6. Put a bookmark here in Ephesians. And look over at Romans chapter 6. It's on page 1116, if you're using a pew Bible. Romans chapter 6, I think, is a perfect example of this tension between the already completed and the not yet. Romans chapter 6. It's on page 1116. Look at verse 6. Paul says, For we know, this is something you can know for sure, that our old self, there it is, the old man, literally, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. If you are in Christ, let's be perfectly clear about this, the old self under sin is dead, buried, gone. It's gone. You are freed from that. But then, look down at verse 11. This is interesting. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So, yeah, the old self is dead, crucified, and buried, and yet there's also the command to keep resisting sin in our lives. 
So I think it's a both-and kind of thing. The old self is dead, so live like it. Don't go back to the old self. Put it off and be done with it. We have to put off the old self. And see, our temptation is, is we want to creep back to the old self. We want to roll the stone away from the tomb. You know, and go in there, <laughs> that rotting body. There's the old self I used to be. And we want to play with it. We want to pick it up and you know, drape it over our shoulders. You know, and the head falls in. We're going to put the arms on it and, you know, hold on to the hands and get that old body on our backs. And we like to play around like we're that old self again. We've got this rotting corpse of, of the old life on our back. And we like to go back to the old ways of thinking and behaving and talking. And it's grotesque. It's macabre. Get rid of the old self and put it where it belongs in the tomb. Roll the stone back. Take a shower. And then go and walk in the newness of life. The old self is dead and buried. We've got to put that old ways off. And that's a constant battle in the Christian life. The, the temptation to think, well, then again, it was kind of fun, wasn't it? I would like to go back to that old... No, no. Let the tomb be sealed. The old self is done. Christ has crucified it and buried it. You've been raised to a new life. So the first thing we see is that Christ is calling us to put off the old self, which is something that's already accomplished but also is ongoing. <clears throat> the second thing that we are taught, going back to Ephesians is to be made new in the attitude of our minds. So we put off the old self, and then we are made new. We are renewed. Something has to change. Something has to be transformed. And just as we made two observations about the old self, I want to make two observations about this change in verse 23. The first is that it's an internal change. That's the first thing. To be made new where? In the attitude of the mind. In other words, in the inner disposition Inside my heart is where the change has to take place. It's an inner change. And, and I think that's important because um, Christianity is more than just do's and don'ts. Christianity is more than just a list of morality. Kick this vice, take on that virtue. You know, are there virtues and vices in Christianity? Of course. But, but it's more than just a kind of religious behaviorism where I try to manipulate my behavior to live the right kind of way. There has to be an internal transformation. I remember I was talking to a, a lady on the airplane, and she, she didn't quite grasp this about Christianity, that it was more than just do's and don'ts. I, I was uh, on an airplane with my family coming back from vacation, and uh, my kids, you know, of course, when they're on the airplane, they have to go to the bathroom about 10,000 times. I don't know what, just they're bored, and the bathroom's the most interesting thing on the airplane. So they're, they're always going up and down the aisle, I've got to go to the bathroom, so you take them up, and shut the door. I don't know what they're doing in there, just monkeying around. But, uh, so I'm standing there, I'm talking to the stewardess, and it sort of get, got out somehow that I was a, a pastor. She says, oh, that's very interesting. She says, I'm Jewish. I, I don't know a whole lot about Christianity. She says, now, are you Catholic or Protestant? I said, Protestant. She says, now, do Protestants believe in the Ten Commandments? Do you have the Ten Commandments? I said, yeah. yeah we, you know, we read the Ten Commandments. We you know, obey the Ten Commandments. Then she said, oh, so pretty much is the same religion then. It's just about obeying the commandments and doing the right thing, right? And I'm like, ah, and my kid comes out, and I'm like, you know, this sort of thing. <laughs> you know, what was I going to say? Uh, so this is this idea that she has. But, you know, a lot of Christians have this idea that Christianity is about, you know, the Ten Commandments. It's about trying to be a good person, trying to do the right thing. And, yes, it's true. 
Christianity does have virtues and vices, things to do, things not to do. But at the heart of it is an inward transformation. There has to be something within me that is, that is flipped right side up. I have to become a different person. Uh, sin is not just an action. It's a condition. It's not just that I do sins. It's that I am a sinner. And, and so it, it's not just about kicking some bad habits in my life when I become a Christian. It's that something has to be transformed deep inside my soul to make me a different kind of person altogether. And Jesus put it this way. He said, If anyone would see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. The only kind of Christian there is is a born-again Christian. That's it. That's not my words. That's not Billy Graham. That's Jesus Christ. He said, If anyone wants to see the kingdom of heaven, they have to be born again. In other words, there has to be such a radical inner transformation that it's as if you're a different person. You've been born again in some way. So that's the first observation we make, is that the transformation has to be inward. You say, well, born again, how does that happen? What, is there some service we do in the church where we help people get born again? What, what do we do to help people be born again? And the answer is, nothing. Only God can make somebody born again. Only God can change the heart. And that's my second observation. The first is that the, in, the uh, renewal is inward. The second observation is that this inward renewal can only come from God. Look at verse 23 again. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. What I want to observe there is just that it's a passive verb. It's something that happens to you. It's not something you do to yourself. You don't change yourself. God changes your heart. God is the one who saves. Only God can transform the heart. How can I transform my own heart? I, you know, I, how do I do that? Do I just you know, hold my breath? and you know, What do I do? God has to reach in and change my nature by a supernatural act of His power and make me a different person. Only God can make people born again. You're not born again by, I don't know, uh, there's no ritual I can do. I, I can't give you communion and make you born again or baptize you or you know, come forward at an altar call. That doesn't make you born again. Only God does it by His power. So you go, well, what do we do then? Well, ask for it. That's all you can do. It's to come to God and say, God, I've got nothing. All I have is sin. God, take my sin. Take my failures. Take my mistakes. Forgive me. And God, change me from the inside out. All we can do is call upon God's mercy to change our lives. And to say, God, save me by the blood of Christ. Save me by the blood of Christ. And I'm telling you something, if you call upon God to change your life and save you, He will answer you. Because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God will do that work inside of you. You're not going to have to do it. God's going to change you. But you know, that's not only true of when I became a Christian, right? It's also an ongoing experience as a Christian. That as a Christian, I need to keep asking for God's power in my life to keep changing me from the inside out. It's not like you become a Christian by God's power, then you say, thanks God, I'll take it from here, you know, and work real hard to become a good person. No, God's power has to continue to flow through my life. And so even as a Christian, I need to come to God and say, God, thank you for the good things you've done in my life. All the good that's come out of me is from you, God, but oh, so many failures still. God, I failed you as a Christian. God, I failed you as a father. 
I've failed you as a husband. God, I haven't been the kind of pastor that you want me to be. God, I've fallen short of the mark. Pour out your Spirit on me in a fresh way that I might continue to be changed and transformed so that the Christian life progresses on our knees. We don't move toward Christ, confidently striding forward in our own strength. We, we inch forward on our knees, asking the whole way that God would keep pouring out His blessings upon us. And I'm telling you, if you will cry out to God for Him to change your heart, He will do it. Because it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the Christian life, oh, it's more than just a bunch of do's and don'ts. If that's what you understand about Christianity, you're missing the whole juice of it. The best part is that God changes my heart and makes me a different person. So what were we taught? What's this new life like? What's this new heavenly citizenship like? Put off the old self. It's being corrupted by deceitful desires. Be made new internally by God's power. Then the third observation is, put on the new self. We took the old self off, we've got to put the new self on. We, we uh, took off the old yucky clothes, we took a spiritual shower, now we're going to put on the new clothes. We're going to become a different person in Christ. So it says in verse 24, look there with me, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, two observations. Two observations about the new self. The, f- the first observation I have to make is that the new self is like God in true righteousness and holiness. The nature of the new self is that it's, it's similar to God. It emulates God. See, it says right there, like God. Now, we should be really clear here. I just feel compelled to really spell this out. When the Bible says that we become like God, it doesn't mean it in a new age or pantheistic sense that you're God, and I'm God, and God is in you, and God's in the tree, and God's in the flower, and God's in all of us. That, that might be one way to misread this text. That's not what Paul's talking about. When he says to become like God, he's talking about a transformation of our moral character. That's what it means to be like God. Because look what he says, like God in true righteousness and holiness. So my old life was marked by sinful deceit, my new life is marked by true righteousness and holiness. So I have to become a Christian. I, I have to, to, to be made holy and righteous and pure and kind, and gentle and loving. I have to take on the character of Christ. The, the things that marked Christ's personality and character come to mark me as a Christian. And I think, again, this is really important, that uh, the evidence of being born again is what? A transformed life. That's the evidence. And you can go to a service and be slain in the Spirit. You You can have an ecstatic experience, an emotional, wow, this place was great. Oh, I was moved. I felt all these different things in my soul. But if you don't have a transformed life, you're not born again. You can go forward at a Billy Graham crusade or a Luis Palau crusade, or you can raise your hand when Jeremy says, who wants to raise their hand to receive Christ? That's all good. But... If there's not a transformed life following, then it's not real Christianity. The way you know if someone's a Christian is by a transformed life. Not a perfect life. I'm not saying we become instantly perfect. But there has to be a gradual growth in holiness. You know, and sometimes you hear Christians sort of talk the other way. They'll say things like, well, you know, you know old uh, Johnny, he's, uh, 
he's a real hellion. He, he doesn't come to church anymore. His family went to church, and he was raised in the church, but he's never gone back to church, and he's just lived a wild life. But you know, when he was five years old in vacation Bible school, he prayed to receive Jesus. So we know he's saved. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> because if Johnny never walks with the Lord, and if Johnny never learns to love God's Word, and you don't see this growth of holiness in Johnny's life over time, I, friends, you have no confidence that Johnny actually became a Christian. A Christian is marked by fruit and holiness in life. And so it's something you have to keep checking yourself. You know, am I continuing to grow in holiness? One of the ways I know I'm a Christian is I look for the evidence of God's transforming, slowly but surely transforming work in my life. It's interesting, I was, I'm reading a biography right now by uh, George Whitfield, about George Whitfield. I don't know if you know about George Whitfield. During the, the Great Awakening in the mid-1700s, he was really the, probably the leader of the Great Awakening, even more than the Wesleys, I think, probably even more than the Wesleys and Jonathan Edwards. Whitfield was the lead preacher. He preached all over the 13 colonies. He preached all over England. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people heard this man preach. This is before they had radio and TV. He just rode from town to town preaching. Thousands came to faith in Christ. Thousands were converted through him. But you know, I, I was reading, just this week I was reading, did you know Whitfield never gave altar calls? He never led people in salvation prayers? He didn't count heads. He didn't say, well, 500 were saved this week because 500 came forward at an altar call. I just found that so fascinating because that's sort of the mode we do evangelism in today. And you go to churches and they say, well, we had 500 people become Christians this year. Well, how do you know? Well, we saw them come forward at the altar call. Well, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. And that was Whitfield's attitude. He's like, I don't know who's a Christian who isn't. You know, someone can, can profess to have some profound experience but it's only when you see holiness in life over time that you know that the new birth has truly taken place. So we need that holiness in our lives. And the second uh, observation here, and then we're done, the second observation about the new life is not only that it's like God, but number two, it's from God. It says we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, the righteousness that Christ wants in our lives is not a, a, a robe that we sew together like a patchwork quilt. The righteousness that, that Christ wants in our lives is something that he creates for us and gives to us. Just as Isaac gave the robe to Joseph, so God gives the robe of Christ's righteousness to us. Or do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son leaves his father, goes to a distant land and ruins himself with reckless living, ends up destitute, feeding pigs, Finally, he says, this is stupid. I'm going back home. Comes back home and he says, Father, forgive me. I, I've, I've squandered your wealth. I've done the wrong thing. And before he can even finish his spiel, the father embraces him and says, oh, and my son is back. And he, he says, bring a robe. Put it on his shoulders. Bring a ring. Put it on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. My friends, that's how it is in salvation. All I can bring to God is my failures. That's the only thing I have to contribute to salvation is the problem. <laughs> All I can say is, God, I've ruined it. Look at my life. It's God who says, oh, put the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. And God clothes me with his righteousness because it is a creation of God. God is the one who saves you. God is the one who grows you up in your faith. 
So we need to put off the old self. That's a dead old rotten corpse. Keep it in the tomb. Put it off. Number two, we need God to transform us from the inside. Only something He can do. We must be born again, and as born-again Christians, we must be filled again and again by His Holy Spirit. And then number three, we need to put on the new self, which is marked by moral purity and godliness over time. We are citizens of heaven. You're going home, folks. You're going home sometime. So let's get ready. Let's start learning the lifestyle of heaven now. Let's put on the robes and the clothes of heaven so that when we step through heaven's doors, we're going to be ready. Would you pray with me? Let me ask you, is, do you feel God calling you now to put your faith in Christ? Maybe you've never become a true Christian. You've never been born again. You've never had Christ come into your heart and forgive you. You might have grown up going to church your whole life, but you've never become a real Christian. If that's something that you're desiring right now, I just invite you to pray a simple prayer. It goes like this. God, I confess that I am a sinner and a failure in your eyes. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me and forgive me and change my life. And God, I pray for the rest of us who do know You, that You would help us to continue to fight the battle of putting to death the old self because we know there's nothing there but death and disease and decay. God, help us to put off sinful habits, sinful attitudes, sinful ways of relating to people. Then I pray, God, that You might continue to renew us inwardly by the Holy Spirit. And finally, I pray that You might put on the new self onto us. Put on Christ's righteousness. God, I pray that South Shore Baptist Church would be known as a church of godly, holy, loving people who reflect the character of Christ. We ask this through Your power. Amen.